Welcome to the Marigold Teachers podcast. We're back with more ideas to help teachers like you embrace well-being, kick emotional exhaustion to the curb, and thrive personally and professionally. That's right. You can kind of think of us as your meadow of marvellousness. Marvellous. I'm Rebecca. And I'm David. We are teachers. We're coaches and creators with over 25 years between us in the classroom. So we definitely know what it's like to need a little bit of support and not quite know how to get it. And in this episode, we're looking at why we as teachers struggle so much with asking for help and sharing our experiences and offering you some strategies as to know when to ask for help and what you're asking for. And more importantly, why are we struggling with that in the first place? All right, let's jump in. So we're talking about asking for help this week, although I feel like I've asked for help quite a lot these days, but I didn't do it all the time. Yeah, I didn't ask for help very much at all for, for a long time. A bit like you, I guess I probably am a bit more confident now about asking for help, but it took me quite a long time to kind of realise why I didn't ask for help. We can often be really lonely and we're surrounded by chaos and people and interactions and we're busy and we're lively but actually we can be quite isolated we can be quite lonely i think that was one of the reasons maybe why i was always a bit reluctant to ask for help was like i kind of didn't really feel like a break out of that bubble that i was in and make those connections i guess i also kind of wore my professionalism as a bit of a suit of armor I didn't think I was better than anybody else, far from it, but I kind of felt like I should know the answers to things. I shouldn't need help necessarily. So I kind of thought, well, it's probably best not to ask for it because I should be able to work this out for myself. And nine times out of 10, I I probably did, but it meant that I didn't make those connections and I probably didn't do things as well as I could have done them had I reached out, made some connections, asked for help and got a better outcome. I think... You and I have worked in small departments. I've worked across English departments with bigger groups of people that are more likely to have to talk in a big group and share more collaboratively. We were quite collaborative as a pair. And once you start getting used to each other and how you work, we didn't really have to even speak to know what each other wanted or needed, which was a really lovely place to be in. But I did sometimes miss working in a really big department because I thought maybe I would share more regularly. And I think we underestimate that sometimes because it's kind of forced on you. You have to share. Unless maybe people in big departments feel like there's more people there to judge them. And so they just kind of stick to their own thing. I don't know. Is that more vulnerable when you're in a bigger department or a big faculty? I think big departments can have huge benefits. I think the the ability to share resources, the ability to lean on one another, the shared expertise in big departments can make it maybe make it easier to ask for help definitely but then you've also got kind of politics going on in big departments in terms of progression and different egos maybe and different personalities clashing a little bit so maybe it's harder but i also think there's a difference between like sharing resources and working collaboratively and collectively for the good of the department and the students within it there's that's different in my mind to kind of asking for help and i think it can make you feel like you're quite vulnerable and i think it can make you feel as though maybe you're not up to scratch like it's like a sign of weakness like you don't necessarily have the answers or you're not as good a teacher as perhaps 
you should be, or you think you could be, or you perceive that other people think you are. And I think that idea of, of actual asking for help, like I'm not managing well with what I'm doing. I need someone to support me and give me more than other people around me seem to need is quite difficult to, to, to articulate and to do. And, and for me, even it was quite difficult to realize I was in that situation because although we worked together for years and, and really well, and, and, you know, had a really lovely collaborative relationship as, as teachers and as friends, there weren't that many occasions. I don't think when I kind of went, Rebecca, I need help. I think if I'd have been more open to those moments or realized I could ask for help, which is kind of a big deal. Maybe I would have achieved different things to a higher standard, but I think what we want to be talking about is, is how important it is a, to recognize that you need help, b to feel empowered enough to ask for it. And then c to normalize it within a department, within a school culture. So it's not just about sharing resources or celebrating one another. It's about trusting one another and feeling trusted that, that you can share the things you need to share. I think that's a really interesting conversation to have with us. Now we're looking back on our working relationship because I trusted you and I still trust you and you're still one of my marigolds, but we were still in a department together. And I think at some points we didn't want to let each other down. And when you feel like you're going to be vulnerable, you don't want to make other people think that they can't rely on you too. And so I think also there's some comparison when you teach the same subject as each other. We, we always constantly compare ourselves. It goes back to our previous podcast about not feeling like we're good enough. And so finding those people outside of your department or even outside of your school to make you feel like you can share those real insecurities or saying, I'm actually really overwhelmed and I need some support without feeling like you're letting them down or they're judging you or comparing their, their lives and their issues and their problems in their teaching career to yours is much easier, I think. I often find someone outside of my department that I can trust because we do the same job. The issues that we have are similar, but they're different enough for me to feel there's that little gap between us that kind of just keeps me feeling like there's a comparison. Does that make sense? Yeah, that distance aspect is really important because it's non-competitive. Like, even though you don't consciously feel you're in competition with your colleagues, you sort of are, whether you know it or not. And there are going to be certain times of year where you kind of feel as though you need to measure up. Uh, And if you've been vulnerable or you've needed help and somebody else hasn't, maybe you get a bit cautious about actually, maybe that's not going to do very well for my career. And I think there's a flip side as well. When you're working closely with people and you feel like you need help, most people will also recognize that the people around them probably need help as well with their own stuff. Like we're not islands and you know how much stress you're under or how much of a challenge you're finding things. And so you kind of can be empathetic and go, well, probably my colleague is also feeling the same way. And so I don't want to overload them. So you keep it inside. But I think, you know, it's different in each school culture, surely. And I think one of the things we're going to talk about is that idea of actually you can find ways to ask for help. They just might not be within your organization directly, or maybe they're just not within your department. 
we t- we kind of hit crisis points when we feel like we need to uh, ask for help and we need to do it a little bit earlier. And those crisis points tend to be when something's pushing against us. It could be an inspection, Ofsted. It's those deep dives of a particular subject. It's those little pressures that get put on different groups of people. Maybe the pastoral team are having a bit of a shake-up or your tutor team are looking at something in particular or every person who teaches that child needs to look at something. And so those pinch points happening to the same people, they're all feeling the same pressure. But we need to get into sorting this help out a bit earlier before we break. We're all really good at noticing when we've broken, but we need to put stuff into place a little bit earlier than that to help us. Yeah, totally. You know, it's a strength to ask for help. Let's just be really clear about that. If you can recognize in yourself the need for support and find the people that can help you and reach out to them and then put into action the support that you're given, then it's better for you and it's better for the students. Massive sign of strength, massive amount of resilience, huge amount of success. I really fundamentally think that it's so many teachers lives and careers and well-being will be improved if we all had that approach yeah as you said like it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help but you've got to be ready to do it and and be comfortable with it and be comfortable asking for help might mean you feel a bit uncomfortable when you first do it but it does get easier and it does get better and those relationships you pick to help you uh, and support you they grow and they grow and they grow and so it becomes second nature once you start finding that right person, those right people, those marigolds. So I think we've got some nice strategies coming up, don't you think, David, to help us? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think the first one is probably the most powerful, really. And it's to do with something I think I mentioned earlier on, which is trust, right? So if it was me in that situation, probably the very first thing I would try and do, once I'd kind of acknowledged to myself that I needed some help, which is a a pretty big deal for lots of us, including me, I've got to go to somebody I trust. But that doesn't have to be your immediate colleague. It doesn't have to be someone in your department. It could be someone on the other side of the school. It could be someone, as you said, in a different school entirely. It's someone that you know will be respectful of the challenges that you're facing, will be empathetic in the way that they listen and respond, and give you some support and some advice, but also hopefully give you some tools to help you work out the answer to something, which as we all know is a far better model for instruction and for learning. Critically, you've got to be specific about the kinds of things that you ask for help with. It's no good just saying, I am overwhelmed. It's no good just saying to someone, can you help me with my classroom management style. You've really got to narrow in on precisely what it is you need help with so that that person that you trust is going to be able to give you the best possible advice and support. And ideally what that person wants to do as well is steer you elsewhere in a professional way. They've got contacts, they've got networks, they've got resources, they've got someone in their department, in their schools that has the answer to your problem, even if you don't. For me, when I first started teaching, that person was the vice principal of the college. I started high, maybe not the best route to go down, but like we just clicked, you know, and that just, that's how it goes. And I just knew that if I went to that person, 
with a problem, with a challenge, with something I wasn't coping well with, not day to day, but like something major, something important, they would 100% back me up and support me. And I think whether you're going into a school fresh or whether you've been there a long time, one of your first jobs when you're feeling overwhelmed is seek those people out. Absolutely. At the moment, my friend won't mind me saying we're definitely each other's trusted trusted friend and we live on the other side of the country to each other. We train together. We go through phases of not being able to phone each other because we're always so busy. We try and make time on a nice little walk, but at the moment we're at voice messaging each other, which I think is quite hysterical, to be honest. So I might listen to something by the end of the day after she's spoken to me for a little while. But what's really nice is that at some points in those voice messages, there's complete silence. So there might be a, a sigh and she's just letting out. Sometimes I know we're not having a conversation, but I know we are, which is quite lovely. And sometimes I don't have the answers, but I really enjoy having the voice message kind of two or three voice messages along or two or three days along that said, oh, I'm in such a better place. That really worked. Thanks. You might not have even said anything, but being able to have you as a soundboard is really helpful. And I do the same to her and it's quite lovely. And actually what's really nice about the voice messages is although I love chatting to her live, sometimes I listen back to the nice ones as well. And it's just nice to hear her say, you're doing a great job or you did go and ask that person, did you? Or did you go back to that website I showed you? And I can go back to it and she can go back to it. And it's kind of like, it's always there. It's just lovely. That's beautiful because there's a kind of a cosmic wisdom to that, isn't there? Because you've got that bridge, you've got that connection. And those times when you're listening to her messages or when you're recording messages for her, you're also kind of solving your own problems. And that's, that's really kind of important too. Hey, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a favor. We know that teachers around the world enjoy this podcast and we're proud to offer ongoing support and actionable advice to educators worldwide. If you're one of those teachers and you haven't already liked and subscribed to the podcast, then please do take a moment now, if you can, to just do that. It makes a huge difference to our reach and it helps us keep this podcast free so more teachers can be part of the Marigold community. From both of us, thanks. Right, should we get back to today's episode? Second strategy for how to ask for help is a little bit broader, really, for me, and it's to spend a little bit of time tracking down the kind of groups, organizations, forums, and social media accounts, perhaps, although obviously <clears throat> be mindful of how good those are, but it's those outside agencies that are going to offer resources and support and help and enable you to, to flourish to the best of your capacity. And I think the great thing about those kinds of groups as well is that they, they kind of reassure you a little bit that you're not alone, that you're not the only one with this problem or facing this challenge. You're not the only person that needs help in this particular area, because, you know, if there's an online group for how to mark a certain paper, or there's an online group for how to manage your planning, then you know that other people have found these challenges hard as well. And you can feel a little bit more like you belong and a bit less lonely, like we kind of spoke about at the very beginning. And quite often schools will have uh, notice boards uh, with a whole range of different contact options on them. Um, but really, I found it quite liberating to search for things myself. 
And I'm not always very good at, at sharing that stuff, but I'm quite, quite a good lurker, right? So I'll join, a, I'll join a group and I'll just be like, what's everyone saying? Does it help me? I'm getting better with contributing, but essentially I quite like to just watch and get support by proxy. But I think you're probably a bit more the kind of person who's rolling up their, their sleeves and getting involved with that stuff, maybe. I'm in so many Facebook groups. It's unbelievable. And I look at them so regularly. It surprises me how regularly I look at them because there's quite a few posts on all of them every day. And do you know what? I have them for my subject. I have them for different exam boards. I have them for different stages of my life in teaching and where I'm at in teaching. And I love that they share. I love that they are honest. I kind of love that you can be anonymous if you want to be, or you can just pop your name out there. I really love when people share resources. That's a fantastic thing. But you know what I love more, David? What's that? I love when someone's having an issue, and even if you don't have the answer, the hundreds of comments underneath that say, I'm really sorry that I don't have the answers for you right now, but I want to say that I've been there too, or I don't know how you're feeling, but know that we're all here for you if you need us. Oh my goodness. Like the outpouring, because we all care and we all have felt vulnerable and we've all been that anonymous post at some point, even if we've lurked and wanted to write that post, the amount of ones that say, I've been here for a long time now, I haven't really said anything, but you say the same things I'm feeling and I finally just want to say, I've read them too and you've helped me without you even asking. Love it. It's like you're taking that one individual person you can trust and kind of multiplying the impact of their responses by a thousand and you pick out the things that are of most value. But that sounds like a really warm way of getting help. Absolutely. Like they could, just someone that's just seen that and either been in the same place as you have or just has read the tone you've written something in and you just get a message from a complete stranger that says, I read your message. I just wanted to check that you're okay in private or even just or in a public message. And that's just wonderful. It says a lot for our profession, actually. Absolutely. So now the third strategy is maybe slightly more contentious and it's not going to work for everybody for obvious reasons, but I think it's really important that we should say professionally that when you're struggling, when you need some help, when you need backup, a really critical aspect of it is actually going up the chain of command. Sometimes the problems that you're facing and the challenges that you have are going to be to do with the people who are above you. And then maybe it's not the right strategy. But I guess what I want to really say is you shouldn't be afraid of doing it. That, that's the important bit. When I was a teacher, I was sometimes reluctant to let a line manager know I was struggling for all those same reasons of like not wanting to appear incapable, not wanting to go down in their judgment. But actually when I went into management and was at the other end of the, of the spectrum to a degree, I really appreciated and valued it when teachers came to me and said, I'm struggling with something because my first instinct was, how am I going to help you? But secondly, it gave me a better understanding of probably what everyone else was going through. And then it helped me understand a bit more clearly that there were perhaps things I could do on a bigger level that would help everybody and that would also aid me. So I really think don't be afraid of doing that. Managers, heads of department, SLT, 
they kind of need to know what's going on. They need to know when you're struggling because it's their responsibility to help you. It's down to them to work with you, to get you through and to help you grow and improve and be happy in your job. And they can't do that unless you tell them. We say that to kids. I say that a lot on this podcast already is we say so many things to students and then we don't take it on. How many times have you said, if you don't tell me you need help, I can't help you? Yeah, hundreds. And I've said, if you, if you know you're facing a problem, tell me first so that I know about it and I don't get it from other people. I'm getting so much better at either delegating something or realizing I wanted some help. So I could have gone and fixed this problem by plodding around the whole school, trying to find the right member of staff that I needed to speak to and kind of trying to fix it in the small window in a very, very, very busy day. And I popped over in my break to see a member of SLT who I trust and said, I'm doing all right, but I'm finding this bit really difficult. And by the time break had ended, they'd come to find me and said, oh yeah, I've, all, I've sorted it for you actually. No problem. It was done. And I realized afterwards, as I walked off thinking, I could have just done that myself. That was a really easy thing. I'm sorry. And then I went, I'm sorry for wasting your time. You didn't have to fix that for me. And they said, that's what I'm here for. And oh, it meant I also, in the nicest possible way, I sat down at break time and drank my cup of tea, feeling better that I'd shared. And then by the time I finished my cup of tea, the problem had been fixed. That's great. And it, it leads me into something which is almost like the flip side of what we're talking about, actually, which is when you're offered help, take it. You don't have to be proud. You don't have to be like, oh, actually, no, I'm fine. You know, if someone sees you struggling with something and they are offering to help you, then I think it's really important that you accept it and you're, you know, you're grateful for it because they're giving up their time. But actually more than grateful for it, you're acknowledging that that person is wanting to engage with you and, and sees something wonderful and sees potential and sees opportunity and sees all the great things that you are and wants you to be able to amplify that in a way that perhaps sometimes you don't always feel about yourself. I mean, we also say though, David, that we're talking about uh, senior leadership and heads of department being there to help you. That is part of their job too. But don't forget, if you're one of those heads of departments, heads of faculty, senior leadership, and someone from your department or someone you line manage say, actually, can I help you with something? That's entirely, entirely okay. It works both ways. When they see that you're needing help, it's okay to get help and support from them too. It works both ways. Good school communities, good departments, teachers, they're, they're teams, aren't they? Fix a, a team to teach a child. And I think it takes a team to build a teacher too. Absolutely. So things don't have to stay the way they are right now. You've got the power when you get help to change them. It's not a sign of weakness. Remember, getting help is a sign of strength and it's a sign of positivity. And finally, don't forget that help is all around, whether it's in your school, in your phone contacts, in a forum online. Although we spend all our time, a lot of us, in a classroom as the only adult there, you're not on your own. Someone out there is out to help you. you just got to let them in. We're at the end of this week's episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. And 
Thank you for everything you do, day in and day out. Teaching can be tough, it can be lonely, and it can be exhausting. So if no one else says it, thank you for being a teacher. You really are inspirational. So like and subscribe if you can. And sign up to our free weekly newsletter, The Flourishing Teacher's Field Guide at marigoldteachers.com. It's packed full of tried and tested tips for teacher wellbeing. Until then, remember that your most important obligation is to yourself because you're awesome and we want you to stay that way. See you next time.